Yesterday could have been a turning point for the Cincinnati Bengals. But instead, they just tumbled back into the abyss. Well, they didn't tumble. They rode the Escaloser down into the abyss. That's a crushing defeat for Cincinnati. Cincinnati drove 75 yards in nine plays uh, near the end of the game. Mixon got the TD, did the dance from the Pizza Hut commercial. The Bengals were clutch for a change. But then Ben Roethlisberger was even clutcher, and he executes the two-minute drill in 68 seconds. Seven plays, 77 yards, A.B. on the audible, and the Bengals can go home and get their shine box. The Bengals are clueless and gutless. You got Dre Kirkpatrick saying afterward, we know we're better. Tyler Boyd said that too, the kid from Pitt and Clareton. Okay, but the Steelers have beat you seven straight times. The Bengals couldn't even play dirty right. Perfect went to elbow A.B. in the head, but didn't catch him square. And A.B. was out of the concussion tent in just a few minutes. And then Burfecht told Juju that he was next, but yo, Tez, you had 60 minutes to get even for last year when Juju laid you out and you couldn't get near him. Burfecht also said that Juju spit on him. I don't believe that. Juju would never do that unless he had a camera crew with him. The scoreboard doesn't lie, and it especially doesn't lie seven straight times or 18 out of 21 times at Paul Braun Stadium. The Bengals are what they are, and what they are is the Steelers' bitch. You too, Tez. Put on a French-made outfit and maybe some lipstick, sweet boy. Boots brought to you by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. Uh, people were bitching because on a couple key plays, the Steelers had a backer covering a wide receiver, specifically Boyd and Green. But that wasn't schemed by the Steelers. That was the Bengals spotting the Steelers in zone coverage and taking advantage, running A.J. Green or Tyler Boyd to a favorable matchup in a particular part of the zone. Keith Butler obviously did not say, hey, let's put Vince Williams on A.J. Green. In fact, I imagine Butler pointedly did not want that. Uh, Hunter did not set a pick on that game-winning touchdown. It was legal. Uh, Drake Kirkpatrick did hold to give Pittsburgh a new set of downs on the game-winning drive. But both instances were borderline, and especially with the holding call on Kirkpatrick, if the Steelers had been victimized by a close call like that and it would have cost them points or cost them a game, all of Pittsburgh would have wet their pants simultaneously. Uh, it was the right call. Kirkpatrick did hold, but it was kind of chintzy. A marginal call that could have gone either way. Four one two three 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 ninety nine thirty nine. Have the Steelers turned it around? They're three two and one, but I figured they'd be five and one by now. Have the Steelers turned it around? 
My number one star from yesterday was Ben. Number two was Connor. Number three was the offensive line. The defense doesn't stink quite as bad as it did. Juju had a good game, had an outstanding catch down by the goal line. The Steelers were worthy winners. In fact, if they had lost that game, and they very easily could have, but I think given their margin, uh, the advantage in margin to play and the advantage in physicality as well against the Bengals, I thought they would have been hard done by had they lost that game. But in the end, on that 68-second drill, uh, Ben Roethlisberger came good and the Steelers came good. Just a tremendously exciting game in an extremely big win. Uh, the Steelers needed to get within touching distance to Cincinnati and Baltimore. They just had to do that. If they would have dropped to 2-3-1, and one, I'm not saying the season's over. I think they could have remained competitive moving forward and stayed mathematically in the AFC North and wildcard races moving forward. But mostly it would have been kind of manufactured and convoluted, which is to say not real. They would have been in it mathematically, but not realistically. So yesterday's win, it probably saved the season at some level. And now you absolutely have to be Cleveland at home on the 28th. And uh, you have got to beat Baltimore at Baltimore on November 4th. No question about that. So... There you have it. Let's see where it goes from here. I'm not too concerned about Lev Bell, although that's all I heard on some of the shows today. It's at the point where talking about the guy who's not there just gets irritating. It's irritating the Steelers. It's irritating Ben. In his post-game press conference yesterday, he said regarding Connor's success, well, it was nice while it lasted. And I guess it really was, but, but still, my God. And Bell not showing up today makes me wonder if he is. And what a dink to have told ESPN he's going to show up for the bye week, but never contact the Steelers, never contact his teammates if media canvassing of the locker room indicates anything, and then he does not show up today. 412-333-9939, the number to call. Steelers, a very physical outplayed the Bengals in every facet of the game. Like I said, the uh, seven-point loss for Cincinnati kind of flattered to deceive, at least I think so. But uh, it's uh, it's just great to get that win, especially over a team you don't like. And to get to within touching distance to the top of the division, both Cincinnati and Baltimore, now you're in the discussion. You should be better been in the discussion. I figured, you figured, they figured, everybody figured they would be better than merely in the discussion. But that's what they are, and for right now, that's got to be good enough. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Boy, I want Twitter right now. Just such a big deal being made of Belnut showing up. I mean, the other running back got 100-plus yards each of the last two games. I didn't think he was a number one running back, and I think the jury is still out on that, but I think the jury 
might now be leaning to delivering the verdict you want in that regard and the Steelers want in that regard, that the team needs in that regard. And it seems like you're more worried about the guy that isn't there. And I'll tell you what, I thought they'd be 5-1 and one at this point. But to be 3-2-1 and one and have running back working out the way it is, that is not the worst situation for the Steelers to find themselves in. Uh, by the way, this just moving over Twitter. Arizona stinks, so they might trade some guys. They got a pretty good cornerback named Patrick Peterson that might be on the move. And the Steelers and the Eagles are said to be interested. You get that guy, boy, that changes your whole defense. I don't think the Steelers will do that because a big acquisition like that in midseason is certainly not their style. Maybe it depends what ultimately happens with Lev Bell because the, the Cardinals won't want Lev Bell. You know, they got they, they got quality at running back as it is, and they're just not going to trade for that guy since they stink. But whatever it would take to get Peterson – if the cost wasn't too prohibitive, I would be for. Let's go to Dave in the car. Dave, you're on with Mark. Hey, yo. Yeah? I think this is like the NWO reunion. Yeah, goodbye. Goodbye. You can, you can yank and crack it over wrestling in your parents' basement if you want. This is a real sports show. And if anybody sprinkles in wrestling, hey, yo, it'll be me because I lived it. Let's go to Chris on 79. Chris, you're on with Double M. Hey, Mark. I just have one simple question. Um, do you think Pittsburgh could uh, trade Le'Veon Bell for maybe a quarterback and someone on defense? For a quarterback? Like, like a uh, younger quarterback. Why do they need another younger quarterback? Well, I didn't know if the backup is too good or not, but I thought it would be someone to like take under like Ben's wing. That's what they're going to do with Mason Rudolph. I mean, seriously, did you call the show to be stupid and F with me, or are you just that stupid? No, I just really don't pay attention to football too much. Oh, well, then this is the perfect show for you to call. And also, it's the perfect time for you to go F yourself. Terrific calls today. That's why I love participating with the Hoi Polloi so much. To be honest, you're better not only not seen, but, but not heard as well. 412-333-9939. Don't forget, we got a Penguin ticket giveaway at the bottom of the hour, and we have Phil Bork to talk hockey. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9. Double M on the X. we got Phil Bork talking hockey at the bottom of the hour. There's a rumor Patrick Peterson, the Arizona Cardinals cornerback, is on the market for trade, and that the Steelers and Eagles are interested. Given the Steelers' trading history especially for big names, especially for the middle of the season, that notion seems a bit far-fetched. Then again, the circus that's gone on with Le'Veon Bell, if you would have told me in the offseason, even a couple off-seasons ago, the Love Bell saga was going to play out like this, well, I would not have believed you. So we'll see what happens with the Steelers uh, between now and the end of this week, the bye week, in which Lev Bell said he would report, 
and we'll see what happens between now and the NFL trade deadline. Let's go to Brent my Pleasant. Brent, you're on with Double M. Mark? Yeah? Um, I was thinking since the Steelers want Patterson and Philly wants Bell, maybe they could do a three-way trade. What are your thoughts on that? You know, that sounds like a good idea in theory, but I don't know if the Steelers just are the type of team to line that up. And who else would have to be involved? You'd have to get, I guess, the Eagles involved, but the Eagles reportedly want Patrick Peterson as well. It just seems very unwieldy and awkward, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I was just wishing. You you would have to give the Cardinals like a second or third round pick, I think, to get Patrick Peterson. Don't you think that that's the least you would have to give? And you might have to give up more, right? Uh, well, if since Bell could go to Philly, Patterson can come here, each team give up a second round pick. So the Cardinals would each get a second round pick? Yeah, I get two second round two picks. Two second round picks. The Steelers would get no, the Steelers get No, I don't I don't think that works. The Steelers Well, the Steelers would get Peterson for second round pick, the Cardinals would get Bell, the Eagles would get Bell. Yeah, I guess you could do that. I just I just don't think it would happen. It's one of those things that sounds easy to do, but I really don't see the Steelers being privy to arranging something like that or even a straight up trade. By the way, yeah. Patrick Peterson's contract carries through 2020. Thank you for the call. And his cap hit this year is 14 million. Next year it's 11 million. The year after that it's 13 million. And, and you know what? That would fit in where Bell was. So if the Steelers were willing, cap wise, you could actually figure it out. You really could. I just think they're very unlikely to. Do that. Let's go to Kevin in the car. Kevin, you're on with Double M. Hey, Super G. Hey, switching gears to hockey. Uh, now with Schultz out for about four months, uh, I see that our top six would include um, Mata and uh, Ricola. And we have, what, who, Ruedel? Yeah, Ruedel uh, right now is the number seven defenseman. But I could see him getting a shot in the lineup just to get him a shot in the lineup in, in the wake of losing Justin Schultz. Uh Chad Ruedel has always had one big thing going for him, and that's that he's right-handed. Uh, if you don't put Ruedel in to take Schultz's place, then you have to shift somebody from left to right. I'm assuming that would be uh, either Ricola or, or Jack Johnson, but right now they're playing Johnston on the left with Alexiak, who himself is left-handed, playing the right side. I guess you could flip Jack Johnson over, but he hasn't impressed me when we've seen him on the right. So either him, Ricola, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the easier thing would be to put Ruedel in there, which is why I'm not dismissing the possibility because he's right-handed, and I think the pairs fall together a bit easier. But uh, I don't know. Uh, they used uh, Mata and Ricola with Alexiak sitting in Montreal, so I don't know. Thank you for the call. The Justin Schultz injury, he collided with Plakanich. And it wasn't a dirty hit or even a particularly noteworthy hit. But when he fell, it seemed like his skate caught in a rut and his leg got doubled underneath him. And uh, I assumed it was some sort of a, of a ligament injury, a, a really severe knee injury. But it turned out, as the Penguins announced earlier today, it is a broken leg, which is actually better in terms of coming back and the healing process than than a knee ligament would be. Uh 
you know, that knee ligament surgery, well, you know what, they, they do it so well. And so often these days, unfortunately, you'd have to figure it would take. But uh, the break, I think it'll heal. I think Schultz will be back in four months, hopefully close to 100% for the stretch drive and the playoffs. The Patrick Peterson thing, I got to admit, it's intriguing me more and more. Because the Steelers always say they would never bring in a high-priced free agent, but this one would slot where Bell was. I mean, if they were prepared to you know, invest 14.5 mil in Bell this year, what's wrong with a 14.9 hit for Patrick Peterson if they get him? You see, here's where I have, like, it's tough to discuss a possible trade for Patrick Peterson because if he's available... It is absolutely what they should do. But the Steelers just don't like to do it. And the caller proposed a three-way deal where, where you know, Bell goes somewhere, Peterson goes to Pittsburgh, and draft picks move to a third location. The, uh, the one he proposed actually made some sense. You got Peterson goes to Pittsburgh, Bell goes to Philadelphia, and Arizona gets a second-round pick from each team. I don't know if Arizona would want more. Like I said, since Peterson is under contract through 2020, but uh, that seems like a not unreasonable deal. Let's go to Rob and Emsworth. Rob, you're on with the super genius. Hey, hey Mark. Yeah, it's actually Ralph. How you doing? Hey, hey uh, wondering uh, what Schultz hurts they're going to bring in a veteran defenseman like a Skidari or somebody like that. A Skidari? Uh, Schultz, or, I mean, you know, Hal Gill. Somebody just uh, vet. Uh, vet How old are you? 42. That's it? You're, it that? seems like you're calling from, like, the, the, the mid-90s. My name's Now, now I'm going to ask you the same question I asked the kid before. Did you call in to be intentionally stupid, or are you really this stupid? Are you trying to be funny and piss me off, or are you really this hockey dumb? I'm just really uh, interested in, uh, you know, the roster man. Hockey dumb it is. Thank you for the call. Yeah, they'll get they'll get Scuderi or Gill or Goligoski. Although Goligoski's gone on and had, well, a consistent NHL career, but I don't think he's what the doctor ordered in this case. Am I ruling out the possibility of them getting a veteran defenseman? Well, Jim Rutherford said today their first attempt will be to solve it from within. And honestly, I think they have the wherewithal to do it. Let's not forget... Schultz is coming back for the time of year that counts anyway. So, no, they're not going to make a trade for a veteran defenseman, barring, of course, more injury to that defense core. Up next, we're going to talk hockey with Phil Bork. The old 2-9 are brought to you by Coors Light. And now you can call in and win. Caller number 11 right now wins a pair of tickets to the Penguins-Canucks game tomorrow night at PPG Paints Arena. All fans in attendance get a team calendar presented by Highmark. Get your tickets now at PittsburghPenguins.com or be caller number 11 right now and get two freebies. 412-333-WXDX. Joining me now, he does color analysis for the Penguins radio broadcast. He is a two-time Stanley Cup champion. It's a pleasure to welcome to the program the old 2-9er, Phil Bork. Uh, Justin Schultz broke his leg at Montreal Saturday. And it was a freaky play, too, Niner. It looked like a skate stuck in a divot. Uh, how did you see it? Yeah, you certainly can't uh, blame it on the hit, that's for sure. As Thomas Placanis, I've watched it quite a few times, Mark, uh, almost went down with Schultz, um, know, knowing the awkwardness of it. 
If you get a chance, watch it one more time. Schultz needs a right-hand shot, so that means his left hand is his top hand. His stick gets caught behind his body. I think that's what adds to the awkwardness of his fall, is as he's tied up with placanets, he's falling backwards, and you're exactly right. The the toe gets caught in the ice. He, he's trying to scooch that left leg out from underneath his body as he's falling backwards. Um, and maybe it would have helped him if it was more of a violent hit. Maybe he would have launched him backwards and his feet would have come right underneath him uh, quicker. But because it was such a slow fall, I think that's what almost helped that leg get caught underneath him. And, you know, when I look at it, Mark, and I, you know, my first thought was broken ankle, ACL, broken leg in that order. Uh, I guess if you had to choose which injury, whether you have a broken ankle, a broken leg, or an ACL, I think I would take the broken leg. As crazy as that might sound, uh, I've had the ACL before. It's a terrible injury, and it's a long rehab, and there can be some residual uh, uncomfortableness, if you will. Same with an ankle. You're dealing more with ligaments and tendons down there as well as a broken bone. When you break your leg, it's a clean break. They put some screws. They put some plates. You you let the bone heal, and he should be ready to go, it sounds like, uh, right around trade deadline time at the end of February. So as much as it's a tough break, that is, you know, what I think is a position of strength for the Penguins. I think they, as far as their depth, uh, of course, they haven't sorted things out as far as pairings for the most part. Uh, they still have some shortcomings as a defensive core and a team defensively. But uh, I think because of the depth, depth that they have, I think the Pens will be okay. Well, how will the defense shake down now, uh, Borky? Uh, Schultz is right-sided. Will Ruedel jump in or will someone move to the right side? I kind of get the feeling that you would think that Ruedel would be plug-and-play because of him being a right-hand shot. But, man, Mark, I think they really like Yuso Rikola, and I think they want to keep him in the lineup. And he seems comfortable on the right side. So I, I would put the, the, uh, the Finn twins together with uh, Ricola and Oli Mata. I think I would leave them together. And then you have uh, um, Jack Johnson playing with Jamie Oleksiak. I don't see Oleksiak being really out of place playing his offside, left shot, right side. And, of course, you're going to leave Dumoulin and Latang together. Can Ricola play the right side? That would be my only question there. Yes. Okay, I'll buy that because I want to get Mata back in there. I I thought that was a bit knee-jerk to take him out so quickly, even though he had struggled. I, I get it. I wasn't crazy about it. I also didn't want to see Schultz get hurt, but I'm glad to see, you know, Mata uh, get back in there. And I thought he played okay against Montreal, but but really, Bork, if you want to point fingers at, at anybody for defensive breakdown so far this season, pretty much nobody has, has not been a victim. Uh, it, it's been a very sloppy start, hasn't it? No, even uh, Brian Dumoulin, who is just a model of consistency, has had a couple games with turnovers and and a couple of mistakes, but you know that's that's the nature of that position. It's going to happen. And as far as Oli Mata, I think he just he just got to get the quick feet going again. He's got to start anticipating and not get caught flat-footed. Uh, with that being said, we forget how young he is, Mark. He's 24. He's played over 300 games in this year, this uh, this league. And uh, I think our expectations are are high for Oli Mata, and it's early. So to sit out a game here or there, I don't think it's it's the end of the world, and Ole Mather's just only—he's only, only going to work harder. You know that. Uh, but I don't—I don't, I don't want to see Ole Mather on the right side. I, I don't think he's a, one of those defensemen. Uh, and I think that Rico is very comfortable playing left or right. So I think those two together 
and the whole language thing and the same age. I, I really would like to see them play together for, for more than just a game or two. No, that, that makes sense to me. Uh, staying with defense, Chris Letang had a bad first period of the season. But since then, I think he might be the Penguins' best player, up or back. What's your call? I concur. Yeah, I think that uh, both ends of the ice, Tangus kind of has has a swagger back. Um, the goals that he scored are, are just brilliant, you know, goal scorer goals. Or he's uh, maybe taking a little off of that rocket shot that he has to, to find his spot, to pick his spot, to get it on net and make something happen. Uh, I think he's been responsible defensively. I think his decision-making has been good. I think he's limiting his turnovers. Uh, you know, he has the puck on his stick a lot. He's going to have turnovers, but... I think his uh, decision-making with the puck and without the puck has been a lot better so far this year. Uh, Matt Murray's back, it looks like. He's been practicing. How did Casey DeSmith do in Murray's absence? Brilliant. Man, he was good. Yeah, I, I just love this kid. I, I guess part of why I love him is his story, Mark, where he's come from, undrafted uh, three years ago, third-string goalie in the East Coast Hockey League. And he just keeps proving people wrong and just keeps battling and battling and and making big saves, timely saves. Listen, he's not perfect. There's pucks that go in, and you're like, geez, man, I wish he could have had that one. He's not perfect yet. But, uh, you know, when you're looking for a backup goaltender to, to get you a point and, and be at least 500, if not a little bit over 500, I think that uh, Casey the Smith is that guy. And part of, other part of that is I think he's really well-liked in the room. I think there's his personality, his demeanor, and, and I think also what I just talked about, his story and his battle level. I think it kind of transcends through the locker room and onto the ice. What's your take on the line shuffling, like Broussard, the left wing, Russ, the left wing, Gunsel, the right wing, and Shane, the third line center? I'm not sure yet, Mark. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I'm, I think we're all interested to see how Derek Broussard will play on the wing. And uh, I'm just not, I'm not sure. I don't think the sample size is big enough. We've only seen it here and there, uh, you know, I think last game might have been the first game where he saw him play the whole game on wing. And, um, you know, I think that Sully wants to get that line going with Jake and Sid, wants to see more offensive opportunities and uh, and see if Broussard shakes out on the wing. I thought it was interesting today that he said he's excited to play that position again. So that's, that's interesting. But you're right, the trickle down, it's been quite significant. We have Brian Russ going from the right side to the left side, Jake Gensel from the left side to the right side. And you did shuffle the deck a little bit. I'm, I'm a little bit giddy about that fourth line with Matt Cullen back to being the center iceman with uh, Dominic Simone and Daniel Sprong. Now, that could be something real interesting to watch moving forward here. I actually like the fourth line as it's currently constituted. And I'm willing to be proven wrong because, like you said, you have to see how it actually plays out. But at a glance, I don't like the changes, mostly because moving Broussard to wing, where he's never played Borky, not more than a handful of shifts in his life he hasn't played wing, and you're diluting your edge at center. You got Broussard to have the best third-line center in hockey, and now you've decided that that's not really needed. No, that's fair enough. I mean, it's both sides of it. We just don't know yet, Mark. And, and you know, in two weeks, you know, you and I can be talking again, and you'll be like, wow, that didn't work out. In two weeks, we could be sitting here saying, man, how about that Broussard Crosby Gensel line? It's absolutely on fire, and uh, it's it's possible. But uh, you know, at first blush, you think, eh, you know, you're not overwhelmed. But I, I think we got to be patient. It's early. Oh no, no, uh, I'm not militant. My, my my other complaint though is, 
and I know this from talking to some people, and I, and I bet you've heard this too, I think they overrate Shan. They think he's wasted on the fourth line, but I think that's his spot. I think that's his biggest value is as the best fourth line center in hockey. Yeah, I don't, and I don't think that's a knock on him at all. But no. I think that's where his strength lies. Yeah, I think he embraces that role. I think that's the role he's most comfortable with. You know, as long as he's getting his PK time and and he's up there in double digits in minutes, which I think you have to really push to. I think you've got to get him around right around nine or ten, don't you, Mark, to get him significantly in the play and with that big body. It's, it's I, I think it depends on the penalty kill time, but yeah, anywhere between nine and eleven is good for me. Yeah, here, here, I'm with you. Now, Kessel's red hot. He's probably the bright spot up front so far, isn't he? God, I love Phil Kessel. I mean, he's just, he's just so one in a million. He just, it just seems like, and I know he works his tail off and he, and he does work at his craft, but it just really at times feels like he just throws, you know, zips his equipment on like a, like a one piece union suit, uh, and just <laughs> kind of goes out there and just, and just rips pucks and, Man, he, he's just fun to watch. And, yeah, when he kind of gets in, we've seen him in these, these getting these little score, uh, goal-scoring zones, Mark, where he'll go five, eight, nine games where he's just filling the net, and then he'll go quiet for a little bit. And he, he doesn't seem to panic if he goes quiet, but he also, um, you know, the veteran part of Phil Kessel realizes, okay, I got the little mojo right now. I kind of got that wave, and I got the board on the wave right now, and I'm going to ride this baby as long as I can knowing it's not going to last forever. And you're right. He's in that zone right now. The puck is absolutely jumping off his stick. And even if the goaltender knows exactly where he's going, even if the goaltender feels like my glove's right there, I stopped the puck, it still has enough zip and spin and velocity on it where he breaks it right through goaltenders into the net. Austin Matthews has 10 goals already for Toronto, uh, Borky. Sid has none. Gino has one. Is that any cause for concern yet? No. Too early. You asked me twelve games in, I'd have a different answer, but you know, we're we're barely a, two weeks into the season. So uh, I'm not concerned. Um Sid can go on the tear, Gino can go on the tear. That's not that's not and you know that Matthews is probably gonna slow down. He's on pace to have probably twenty in the month of October as we're moving along right now. Uh but you have a funny feeling things will slow down for him and things will pick up for Sid and Gino. Yeah, I think so too. And I think they're both playing real well. I mean, Gino has, what, seven assists in addition to one goal, and Sid has the four helpers, but uh, it just feels like they're, I don't want to say snake bit, because like you said, it's very early. It just feels like nothing's fallen for them, especially Gino, who's had a ton of chances. Yeah, and I, I do think it's funny, Mark, that the, you know, the Penguins wins this year against the two teams that made it to the Stanley Cup final last year in Vegas and Washington. Their, their losses were both against the Montreal Canadiens, who had one of the worst records in the league last year. So, you know, I, I think we just got to wait and see. And at, at times, Gino is, is uh, you know, paying attention to the details that he's stopping, he's starting, he's creating offense from good defense, uh, smart with the puck. And then there's other times when I've noticed him to be lackluster uh, and a little laissez-faire, to be quite frank with you, Mark, uh, with the puck. And, and uh, the due diligence that it takes to win in this league. So Gino's still trying to find his game right now, but that's that's the least of my worries. I I mean, it could start Tuesday night for Gino. He could have five points and have you know fifteen points next week. The way the way that he can explode. So that's the least of my worries is, is Sid and Gino getting numbers on the board. Uh, the thing that concerns me is throughout the lineup, from one to twelve on the forwards and one to six on the D, is to show me some consistency defensively. 
because you have to believe. Come on, you've been playing for Sully long enough. You have to believe with his system. Pay attention to details first defensively. You will still get your cookies. You'll still get your goals, and you'll still create your offense. Yeah, I'm not sure how much they're they're buying into that currently. I mean, not not all of them, but but certain guys. And that segues nicely to my next question, uh, two niner, because Sully went ballistic after the loss to Montreal at home nine days ago. He was very vocal and had an extra practice. Was it too early to do that? What's your take on the timing there? Because I only think you can do that two or three times in the season before you get tuned out. Well, there's there's raising your voice and um, commanding the room and getting the respect of your players and the attention of your players. And then there's peeling paint when you walk in there um, by unleashing on them. Uh, you know, it isn't always the volume, but it's what you say and how you say it. I think it's what uh, reverberates through this hockey club. Uh, when the coach is trying to make a point. So I don't think it's ever uh, too early uh, when you have a game like you have against the, the Montreal Canadiens in front of your loyal home fans, your friends, your family, your kids, and, and everybody else that was sitting there that had to witness that. There's no excuse for that, and there's no way that a coach should stand for that. I don't care if it's game number one or 82. With that being said, um, I've said this many times before, it doesn't matter what you did last year. The Penguins could have won their third cup last year, and you got to learn to win all over again. Uh, you just you just have to have those reminders. And sometimes those games, when it's the second game of the season, can sometimes be better than when it's the 72nd game of the season. So you need those reminders. Sometimes they can be blessings in disguise. We'll wait and see. Um, we just haven't seen the Penguins play Penguin hockey for 60 minutes, not even close to it yet. So you keep waiting. Uh, you can't say, oh, I'll turn it on in game 20. It's got to start in game number five on Tuesday night against the Canucks. Well, speaking of which, uh, like you said, Vancouver and time tomorrow, the Penguins have lost twice to Montreal. I always say, Borky, the key to success is beating the teams you should beat, so the Penguins need a result, don't they? Don't be that team, Mark. Don't be that team that plays down to your opponent. Because you look at that lineup, and especially if it looks like um, Elias Pettersson is going to be out of the lineup uh, for them, that uh, you know, and that's a young stud player that's got five goals. Um you know, you don't you look at their lineup, and, and it's not a lot of star players, just like Montreal. But they've got a lot of young, speedy, hardworking guys that kind of want to put a little notch in their hockey stick by saying they rolled into Pittsburgh and knocked off the Penguins. So, with that being said, yeah, uh, hopefully it's lesson learned from what happened against Montreal because you're going to face a similar team tomorrow night. That okay, maybe they'll have a Terry Price in goal, but uh, they're a team that's hungry, that that is going to surprise a lot of teams this year that take them lightly. And uh, hopefully they learn the lesson against Montreal, and it won't happen again tomorrow night against the Canucks. Our old friend um, Peter, uh, excuse me, Sutter, Sudsy's coming in, and uh, Derek Puglia, come a couple of former Penguins. Only one of them will have get, gotten high before the game, and I think we <laughs> all know who, who, who that is, Borky. Finally, settle a debate for me. I am militant <laughs> when a game goes to a shootout. Yes. If you have a better shootout goalie on the bench than a guy who's played the whole game, you should put in the better shootout goalie. What say you? I think you and I have had this conversation up in the booth before, and I think we will go at each other forehead to forehead, nose to nose. I think we strongly disagree. I say there's no way you put an ice-cold goalie in on a shootout, and the risk of him pulling a hammy, pulling a groin, just going for that extra point, in the uh, in the regular season, I think, and also I think it's disrespectful the guy that's been in there for 65 minutes 
battling his you-know-what's-off to try to get the victory, to give him the hook at the very last second, to throw the guy that's been sitting on the bench there for two hours and 42 minutes to throw him in there. I just think, no way. I would hate to be that goaltender that's battled so hard, and all of a sudden you're like, really? You're going to put the other guy in for three shooters? Well, you, you, you know, it's only bench? happened twice, Borky. Do you know who one of the guys replaced was? Our old friend Johan Hedberg, the moose in Atlanta, <laughs> and he demolished the dressing room. <laughs> That's great. Okay, so what say you, Mark? No, I put the better shootout goalie in. I told you. Forehead to forehead, man. Well, no, I don't, I don't care that much, but here's my point. I know Casey DeSmith would have felt hard done by if he were yanked for Murray for the shootout in Montreal. I wonder what would have made him feel worse, that or the two Frisbees that sailed past him in the shootout, because as good as Casey played, he looked awful in that shootout. Yeah, and how would you explain it if Matt Murray pulled his groin and he's out for two months? He tore his groin because he's ice cold. <laughs> Gets hurt all the time anyway. What's the difference? Oh, jeez. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that because it's terrible what happens, but, but I don't know. You know what it would depend on? Let me ask you this. Let me modify the question, okay? Let's say it's March. Okay. And your team is in a playoff battle where every point matters. Okay. And it goes to a shootout. Do you make the switch then? If you're talking game 81 or 82, and it depends on if we make the playoffs or not, okay, right. then you got my attention. Now you have my <laughs> attention. Now, now, now we can kind of we can back away from each other and have a healthy conversation. But if oh, we were always going to do that too, Niner, please. <laughs> if we're talking about game number, game number 17 in November, then I say no way. You leave the guy in. I just like the idea of Moose demolishing the dressing room. So do I. I, I don't know why. I could just picture it right now. You see, because you know him. As soon as I said it was him, you started laughing because you knew where it was headed. I know exactly. He's a fiery team <laughs> that would absolutely rip up the room. You're right. Borky, good stuff. We'll see you at the rink. Double M sounds good. Like always, I enjoyed it. And this was the hockey talk. That's Phil Bork brought to you by Coors Light. Be sure to stop by Sensi's Pizzeria in Cranberry or Wexford to enjoy great food and $3 Coors Lights, 22-ounce drafts during all Penguins games. And by DBR and Company Wealth Partners, independent, big-picture thinking for high-net-worth investors and qualified retirement plans. I've heard good things about that Sensi's. I should check that out at some point. Anyway, thanks to Borky. Thanks to Coors Light. Up next, let's get back to the Steelers. Although, honestly, if you want to talk Penguins, I would have no problem. But let's get back to the Steelers. Have they, quote-unquote, turned it around? And at 5 o'clock, I'll talk about one thing that you had to enjoy. The Steelers not only beat the Bengals, they won the physical battle badly. They beat their ass up. I'll go into detail at 5 o'clock here on 105.9 The X. Here's a quote from Derek Broussard after having been moved to uh, first-line winger instead of third-line center. Broussard said, Regarding playing with Crosby, I loved it and can't wait to try again tomorrow. Well, I, of course, he'd say that. He got moved from third-line center to first-line wing, although him never having played uh, wing before. I mean, centers can figure it out. That's the philosophy of the coaches, and I don't disagree with it. Centers can figure out wing 90% of the time. I just hope Broussard doesn't figure into the 
412-333-9939. This segment brought to you by 84 Lumber. In a few moments, we're going to talk about how the Steelers out physical the Bengals badly in that game yesterday. Uh, there's been some uh, criticism of Vontez Burfick coming out of the Steeler locker room in the wake of that game yesterday. Ben said after the game regarding Burfick's big moment, which was elbowing A.B. in the head, to no great effect, it should be noted. I think A.B. missed, what, one, maybe two plays. But uh, Ben said, quote, how do you allow that stuff, unquote. And today, uh, Marcus Gilbert said, hopefully one of these days he'll grow up, unquote. And Gilbert called for Burfick to be suspended. We had Matt Williamson on earlier, our football guru, and he said that he believes that given Burfick's status as a repeat offender, he thinks Burfick should get a couple games for that elbow to A.B.'s head. But I said, well, I doubt he'll get any games. I bet he gets a fine. And Williamson agreed with me. It's very similar to hockey, where the NFL wants to pay lip service to getting rid of a problem as opposed to doing what's required to actually get rid of the problem. Uh, the Steelers, though, out-physicaled Cincinnati badly. We'll talk about that more in just a few moments. And we've been talking about the big stories of yesterday's game. I think that the offensive line has been such a big story dating back several weeks now. They've not allowed a sack for two weeks in a row. Ben's barely been touched two weeks in a row. It's been Quite an amazing performance by uh, Villanueva, Foster, Pouncey, DeCastro, and Gilbert. When you got those five guys all relatively healthy and together, that offensive line can be a juggernaut, as it's proven uh, over the past couple weeks, at least the past couple weeks. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Pouncey and DeCastro threw a couple run blocks that were so devastating. You noticed how devastating they were on the network feed, just watching the game on TV. Didn't need a coach's tape, didn't need replay, didn't need to watch it a second time. You just saw that block on live TV and you said, wow, that is one heck of a block. We're also going to talk about the holding call on Kirkpatrick and the non-call on Justin Hunter, the pick he set at the end of the game to spring A.B. I think both calls were correct. But both calls could very easily have gone either way, too. In fact, uh, two of the ex-refs that are on TV were arguing about whether the Hunter pick should have been offensive pass interference. Uh, close call, as I've said all along. McCauley said it should be OPI, and Riveron said it should not be. So if you're a Steeler fan, how would you have felt if... Those calls would have gone the other way because they very easily could have, and then you'd be wetting your pants in anger just like they are right now in Cincinnati. But 30 seconds away, we're going to talk about physicality and how the Steelers dominated in that area of the game yesterday. I'm Mark Madden, 105.9 The X.